0: Let's face it, AI has gotten a pretty bad rap in the media and pop culture. Just think of Terminator, Blade Runner, or Ex Machina. But I think it's time that we give AI a fair shake. Welcome to Practical AI, the capacity for good, where we speak with some of the brightest minds in the industry about the exciting intersection of AI automation, customer support, and customer experience, and how we can use the latest and greatest technology to help teams do their best work.
1: Hello, my name is James Deal. Welcome to Practical AI, the capacity for good, where we sit at the intersection of AI, automation, and experience, and seek to uncover actionable insights for those looking to improve their customer and employee experiences. Joining me today is David Karandish, our founder and CEO here at Capacity, David's a distinguished entrepreneur with 20 plus years of experience in online advertising, SaaS, and AI. Previously, he helmed Answers, a QA and content platform, elevating customer experiences for Fortune 500 companies and top retailers. His strategic prowess was evident in, in the Answers' $950 million acquisition. That exit wasn't enough, however, David's won several awards recognizing him as an outstanding CEO and entrepreneur. After his exit from Answers, David took a step back to look at what was next and in 2017 he jumped into what he thought was going to be the next big thing AI and started capacity turns out if you look at just the last 12 months you'd have to say he was right about the next big thing so david brings a wealth of insights to our discussion today on navigating the complex landscape of a technology driven progress and specifically as it relates to AI and so with that I'd like to welcome david to the podcast
2: hey james thanks for having me here today
1: well this is exciting you know we sit right, as I mentioned at the, in the intro there, at the intersection of automation, of AI, of generative AI, all these topics swirling around. But before we jump into that, I'd love to just have a little bit more of your take on your journey, your passion for technology and innovation, and what led you to where you sit today.
2: Yeah. So I think about, if you've ever seen that movie, Slumdog Millionaire, where the guy goes on the game show and the game show is the totality of his life experience. Every question. And it led to that moment. I feel very blessed to be in a similar situation where all the work I've done in my career up until this point has really fit into where we're at today. So prior to capacity, deep background in the world of questions and answers. Also, my last company had a software as a service business around customer experience analytics, around ratings and reviews, and around understanding what customer journeys look like across some of the biggest brands in the world. Fast forward to today at capacity, we've got over 140,000 emails and tickets that get deflected every month, 10 million SMS messages that get sent, and we analyze over 3 billion calls. And so it's been fun to see how this space has developed in, in a relatively short period of time. And it's also been fun to see how a lot of the work I've done in
1: my past is joined together here for what we're doing today. Cool. So with that culmination of those things together... I'd love for you to lay out just kind of as a broad-based start to our conversation here, how do you see the AI landscape today and maybe help us understand some of the definitions around these terms that are flying around?
2: And look, for all of our listeners out there, I can't fault you for being confused because there is a lot of noise out in the market as people are trying to describe the elephant with whatever senses they have, right? Right. So what I kind of think about it is I first like to define automation versus AI versus generative AI. And let's start there as a good place to unpack. When I think about automation, I think of software that operates without human intervention. Something that's going to happen, it's going to run on its own. And if you said to me, David, so what? Why is that important? It's because automation if you say like the ultimate purpose is it ends up being a proxy for outsourced manual labor. It's the manual labor we used to have to do. Now, instead of sending that off to a team of people, you're now sending that off to a software platform. We've been doing this in the early days from things like dragging and filling a column in Excel to now logging into a website and pushing and pulling information via robotic process automation. But anywhere where you used to have to have a human go take an action or a manual labor step. That's a good place to say, oh,
1: automation can help here." Interesting. Just when you said, uh, you know, clicking and dragging in an Excel document, like that simple thing that we all take for granted, that's automation. Like, that's what we're talking about here, making that piece of labor easier.
2: Now, if you said, okay, David, then, then how does that compare to AI? My simple definition of AI is AI is software that learns and applies patterns. Like my son uh, is in the first grade, he gets those sheets home. It'll be like triangle, square, triangle, triangle, square, triangle, triangle, guess the next shape. Very similarly, I think AI is just doing that on steroids, just picking up on all sorts of patterns in speech, in voice, in images, in video that in some cases, humans would have been able to do, in some cases, humans wouldn't have been able to do. If you say then, David, okay, again, so what, what AI is really doing is it's where you're outsourcing. Instead of manual labor, like automation, you're outsourcing your cognitive labor. Here, I need to go make a decision. Instead of having a human need to make that decision from some inputs that came in, we're going to let the AI make the decision based on the pattern that it finds. So then lastly, we've been all seeing these use cases around generative AI, Things for like mid journey and chat GPT and other systems that are looking at videos. And if you ask me, David, how do you define it? Well, I think of generative AI as a subset of AI. And within that subset, I would describe it as software that creates new content based on your existing data. So I have an outline. Okay, go help me fill out this outline. I have a ticket. I need you to go write a better version of this response because. It'll take me a long time to have a high empathy email to go out. If you look at I'm a big fan of the Frank Sinatra covers there, an AI has taken his voice. They're crazy good. That's the shocking part. That's I mean, I it's one thing to copy someone's voice. It's another thing to actually make something sound good. So I highly recommend if you only get one thing out of this podcast today, get the Frank Sinatra Gangsta's Paradise cover. It will be worth its it's worth its weight in gold. Okay, so David, if you think about those three examples—your automation, your AI, and your generative AI—how do we start to put them together? What does that look like to combine them? I've got a little story that represents a, a good example of this. Um, so we're working with a company in the e-commerce space, where the top item, or the top item that their support team has to deal with, is when will my order ship? So you bought a new uh, new part for your car. You're trying to get some underlights underneath your ride and really pimp your ride out. If you want to know when your order is going to ship, currently, a human would have to go in and read your email. A human would then have to go into that system, log in, grab the order information, and then depending on if it's going to ship tomorrow, send you a nice quick email. Hey James, your email, your uh, order shipping out tomorrow. Or if it's delayed because of all of the supply chain issues writing you in a high empathy email, James, we're so sorry. We've got stuck and bogged down with this supply chain stuff. It's going to be another month or two before we can get you your order. We will let you know as soon as possible. Please feel free to reach out if you have any other questions. Again, one-off email like that is fine, but if you're doing this across different time zones, different hours, we're going into a holiday this weekend and they don't have staffers at that time. People get really frustrated when they have to wait to hear about what's happening with their order. So, what they did is they said, let's go bring in this kind of tech where we can have AI read and classify that email. What does this email mean? We're going to have automation log into these systems and go grab the information out. And then we're going to have generative AI write a high empathy email out the other end, depending on when that ship date looks. So, we took what used to be uh, really painful. And we made it easy. We look at we took something that was very repetitive and we made it scalable. And we took something that frankly was a challenge and we just made it accessible to their whole cohort. So that's a good example where you could put all three of these together and end up in a much better spot on the other end.
1: And that seems very doable. Like for a business to be able to look at their business processes and come out with a plan such as that seems really doable. What are some of the key things that when a business is thinking about, okay, I've got these different processes, I've, or maybe it can be overwhelming. Maybe that's what they need to get to is what are my business processes? Maybe that's the first question. But I guess, how should a business start to think about implementing AI if they haven't ever done anything along those lines before? So I think about it in kind of a, two forks in the road. The first
2: fork in the road is do I have a specific use case I know we've identified, we've got budget for, and we just need to go apply this technology out to go solve it? The second path on the first fork is, I don't even know where to get started.
1: I know we need to implement this stuff. And I, I think a happening. lot of businesses are right there. I think that's where a lot of businesses are today.
2: In that case, we would actually recommend before you go pick a vendor and jump through all these hoops, do an AI assessment sit down with somebody like us or another great reputable firm and go out and survey your team, talk with your leaders, say what are the areas where you would want to go uh, implement AI automation, generative AI, and then have somebody walk you through that journey. Map that back to how other companies are implementing it and then come up with a framework for how you'll, you'll score it. We've been doing that in a way where we go out and we provide this AI assessment and then we roll the cost of that assessment toward the subscription if you end up using capacity. The second kind of fork in the road that we see is within that, do you want to go internal or external? So team member facing, customer facing, and then you're trying to go for dollar, immediate dollar impact, or uh, SAT impact. So ESAT or CSAT. So that's kind of a two by two matrix. We put almost every opportunity through team members or customers, immediate dollar impact or SAT
1: impact. Are you seeing, as businesses look, Well, let me ask this first, because I was this is kicking around my head. Is there any business that should just ignore this whole AI trend and say, this isn't for us, we don't need even look at this? Like can you think of is there any business that shouldn't be thinking about how does if they're gonna stay competitive in the market?
2: No. But I will say this how you implement it is going to differ depending on use case. So I'll give an example. Let's talk about the financial services world. We have some clients who are like Our website is our biggest branch. And therefore, like being able to give a timely answer to the questions that come in is so important. And so we want to be able to have a bot on that website that can answer questions 24-7. But then I've talked with wealth management advisors who are like, David, we've got clients who are very high net worth individuals. Expect to be able to talk with someone. They're not going to go talk with this bot. They don't. We're afraid to put a bot. And I think they have a point. I may think that, hey, adding the bot is just another channel, but even if you ignore that for a minute, where you can start to implement this technology is on the other end, where if you're talking with your wealth advisor and you ask the wealth advisor for a 529 plan to help set up for your kid's education, on the other end of the spectrum, the AI is actually pushing to the advisor the articles, the Q&A, and the things you want to go read. So which parts become truly self-serve versus agent assist are very important. The other thing I would say in terms of like the third mega use case are the campaigns and workflows. How do we go reach out to our customers in a compliant way in a way that doesn't run afoul of any spam laws or laws around delivering SMSs or doesn't degrade your social performance but being able to push out campaigns and workflows across your major channels would kind of be the third use case. So self-serve, agent assist
1: and uh, campaigns and workflows. I'd be curious for your Take on this idea, as businesses think about adding AI. There's a lot of people are worried it's going to replace people's jobs. People are going to lose their jobs. Businesses are going to become less personable. Obviously, businesses are in are typically exist to make money for and create value for their shareholders and their customers. And but money is a big part of that. How do you think a business should? try to be motivated when it comes to these implementations of AI? Is it about improving the experience? Should they be looking at the bottom line? You can argue with both, right? But I mean, I've had some people tell me a business should not be looking at the bottom line, they should be looking at how to improve the customer experience, and that'll bleed through. And others say, you know, if you don't look at the bottom line, I mean, that's why you look at these technologies to improve the bottom line. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts around that.
2: Yeah, I mean, there has been long running evidence around that companies that have the best customer experience tend to outperform the market on the whole. Whether you look at someone like an Apple or a Chick-fil-A, regardless of your perception of the products themselves, these are companies that are well, you know, world-renowned for having a great customer experience. And so I don't think you should ignore CX because it might not have an impact on this immediate quarter. At the same time, I think there are wins you can go get that can either save you costs or help drive new revenue immediately as well. So I don't really think of it as an either or. I think of it as a both and, depending on what your specific use cases look like. Like I'm talking with one organization in the healthcare space where their customer SAT scores are highly correlated with what their revenue looks like. I'm talking with another company that's like, We're really trying to grow our customer base without having to linearly throw people at the problem. And so depending on what your specific use case is, you might lean on a little bit more on one side of the fence than the other. But ultimately, if you don't create a great customer experience, you don't create a great team experience, you're not gonna improve your
1: revenue or cut your costs. So when you start to look towards the future and you think about AI, what are you most excited about with it? Feels like these large language models are getting faster, smarter by the day almost, right? So what gets you excited about how the advancements we're seeing in AI, in general but AI in particular? Or Are there any other types of AI that you are that are coming down the pipe that people are talking about?
2: Yeah, so James, you know, I've got four kids and I know you got a bunch of kids too. And seeing your kids grow, there's something just, there's an awe, there's like a, it's a spiritual thing to see your kid grow up. Right. And I think what we're seeing is that as this technology continues to mature, it much like seeing a child grow, you're seeing the technology take on more and more use cases that it couldn't do before. So, like a few years ago, we were just trying to get the AI to understand what you meant by typing in eight words. Now we've got the AI reading documents and responding to tickets and reading emails. I think the big leap is going to happen when these systems move from being primarily pull, let's wait for somebody to do something, and then we'll react, to push. We're going to be proactive and send you something. I got a little Apple, I think it was an Apple Maps alert the other day that a highway was closed and I should take a different route. And I was very thankful that whoever is running the AI back there new to send me that message or within that app because it helped me save some time and it was a proactive not a reactive kind of move i think that's a fundamentally going to be a big shift that we see i also think that as we've connected so many apps to the cloud those apps are now accessible these ais as well so it's not just private knowledge bases it's connecting all your apps all your documents all of your your people for who knows what, in what departments, what divisions, et cetera.
1: That's a really interesting thought. I mean, if you think about the journey you were on and align that to the customer journey, you got that bump that was super impactful at the time you received it. And if you think, if a company were to think about their customer journey the same way, where can those proactive engagements start to come out? That can be a game changer for customer satisfaction and for the experience, right?
2: The other thing, too, is that up until recently, most AI interactions have been single-channel. I'm on a website, I'm chatting with someone, and then if I go to the call, it's completely gone. Or I'm on SMS, I'm scheduling an appointment, but then when I'm on social, I don't know who I am. And so I think the next phase is going to be a true omni-channel support automation platform where it doesn't matter if I'm on the web or SMS or Slack or Microsoft Teams, or I'm on email, or I'm on my favorite social site, whatever channel I'm in, we should be able to reach the consumer, help them through their problems and escalate up to a person
1: when needed. So then I'd love to hear, we talked about the what you see coming. What are you afraid of with AI? Are you afraid of anything? I mean, does, is there anything that keeps you up at night as it relates to the rapid exponential growth of AI intelligence?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think the ability to intelligently deploy AI in a way that benefits society, I want the United States leading in that. I don't want the United States following other countries in that. And so when I think about what happened with the birth of the internet, The U.S. really led the charge in making sure that the internet got out, remained open. There's a reason you don't pay for every email that is being sent and received. That was proposed by certain people at certain times. Um, I want to make sure that this technology can be used responsibly, which means that the U.S. needs to continue to lead. It means that U.S. needs to continue to get investment in the areas, and that U.S. companies need to be the first ones in line to go try this stuff out. I think if we cede our leadership position in AI to other countries, we're going to regret it because they
1: may or may not share our same cultural values. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's really a good point. So what about security? So we're talking about how do we make sure that this is available and accessible and safe, But and that the United States um, is leading the way in that, having had a good experience with leading the way in, in internet, as you indicated, what about security? How should businesses think about securing this AI and their data, both private data, public data? Seems like there's a whole bunch of things to think about when it comes to security with regards to AI.
2: Yeah, I think there's a, a kind of a good CS analogy to this. I remember when I was taking computer science classes at WashU. At that time, I don't know if they still do it now, but at that time, they put everybody through the Java programming language. And one of the things I remember from, and I haven't coded in Java for years, but one of the things I remember is there would be three types of classes. There were private classes, public classes, and protected classes that sit in between. And so when I think about how organizations need to think about their data, they need to think about it in three ways. There's stuff that should always be private within the organization we cannot let it out to anyone outside of our four walls. And there's stuff that's public information that we can go utilize to our best efforts and go do what we can. And then there's protected information that's important, but we need to work with a trusted vendor to be able to handle that. I think how you set up your data architecture for those three lanes is going to determine whether, you know, as a bank, you're running into compliance issues, getting AI off the ground, or you're leading the charge and creating a great customer experience. So how that stuff gets deployed, I think, is very important. The other thing I would say is that there are standards that companies need to adhere to, to be SOC 2 compliant, to be GDPR compliant, to be HIPAA compliant, in order to work with certain types of data. And so if I was assessing a vendor, I would want to make sure that they could meet whatever criteria standards we need for
1: that the sensitivity of that data. So. Kind of as we start to wrap up the conversation here, love to get your take on, if you were to kind of think about the top one to three things that a business should think about as it contemplates, we've laid out kind of the process that they should maybe go through and, but what are the couple of things they should be thinking about as they approach implementing AI in their customer journey and their customer experience?
2: Yeah. I mean, like we said earlier, the first thing is do an AI assessment. So we can all get the executive team on the same page for how we need to go implement this tech. The second thing is, don't be afraid to start small. Start with a small WN use case that can prove the technology out that you can grow and iterate from. And then lastly, with any kind of project like this, you always want to start where the resources are aligned, where you don't need to devote too many resources or you're undercutting the value of the savings but you also don't devote too few resources to make sure it doesn't get off the ground. So having the right resources, getting that small W in and getting your team aligned around an AI assessment would be the first few things I'd do. Great advice. All right, so
1: one final question, but before that, any final thoughts? Because this last question will kind of take us down a, a tangent that I take all my guests down here. So any final thoughts specifically on AI here as we wrap up?
2: My last thought is that similar to the 80s, where you didn't want to be the last company with a computer, and the 90s, where you didn't want to be the last company still on DOS. and the 2000s, you didn't want to be the last company with a website. and the 2010s, you didn't want to be the last company with a mobile experience. In the 2020s, you don't
1: want to be the last company with an AI. So because this podcast is focused around customer experience and how AI impacts that, let's just set aside the AI, though, piece for a minute and talk about experience. When a business creates an experience for their customers, typically what they're doing is creating a memory. That experience creates memories. Memories are what people hold on to. There's not many other things we can hold on to in life other than memories. And even, you know, and we we can't take anything with us, and even our memories sometimes go when just before the end, right? But memories are the last thing to go, typically when it comes to the experiences we have in life. So, if you could step back and create an experience for yourself for your family, that would in turn create memories. What types of what would that be, or what maybe what type of thing is that you would might do?
2: When I think about creating a great customer experience within my family, I think us being together, working on a project, then enjoy on the other end. And I don't mean necessarily got to go build something big, but it might just be like a great. Cooking night. We all were doing, uh, learning to cook uh, chicken pho a few months ago. And, you know, I've got one daughter chopping up the cilantro, and somebody else is helping me with the jalapenos, and somebody else is helping me with the broth. Then we got the chicken grilling. And it was just a great experience to come together as a family, work on a little project, and then get to enjoy the fruit of our labor. I have a great discussion at the dinner table afterwards. We actually try to do something in in the Karandish household where on Sunday nights, I'll usually cook. And I usually try something kind of experimental, something new.
1: Branch out a little on Sunday
2: nights. And then the kids have started cooking on Thursday nights as well. And so even though they're 11, 9, 7, and 6, I've got a a crew of kids who are learning to cook. And yeah, it just creates memories together as a family.
1: Absolutely. I mean, doing anything together, but that very specific... Where you guys are aligned around one thing and having the conversations align and the experiences. That's really cool. And those are the kind of things that they will talk about. Remember when we made this dish? Remember, remember when you tasted that pepper and it burned your tongue so bad? Or yeah, remember when dad
2: tried to make homemade donuts while mom had COVID and the fire department showed up? Like they're oh, like,
1: there you go. <laughs> get black for that today. So. Great memories. All right. Well, David, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. The insights were fantastic, and again, enjoyed the conversation. Hey, thanks, James. Appreciate it, man. All right. Cheers.
0: Practical AI, the capacity for good, is brought to you by Capacity, an automated help desk, knowledge base, and customer experience platform. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you would like to improve your customer experience and internal operations, head over to Capacity.com and get started for free on behalf of the whole team. Thanks for listening.